listening to The 123 Show with me, Noreen Mir, this afternoon. As you know, the Hong Kong International Literary Festival is well underway. And from now until the 15th of November, you'll be able to go to the events in person or online. For more, you can go to their website, which is festival.org.hk. And as their proud broadcast partner, RTHK Radio 3 will be featuring a number of their great writers. And joining us this afternoon is Adam Minter, a columnist at Bloomberg Opinion, where he writes about topics that include technology, the food of future and recycling. And Adam has covered the global recycling industry for almost two decades, and he's a globally recognized expert on the topic. And he's also the author of Junkyard Planet, Travels in the Billion Dollar Trash Trade, and also his latest book, Secondhand, Travels in the New Global Garage Sale. Welcome to the program, Adam, and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Now, Adam, when I was uh, finding out more about you, I found it really, really fascinating that your family owned a scrap metal business in Minneapolis. Um, Could that be the beginnings of sort of your fascination uh, into the world of scraps? Absolutely. I mean, I I tell people I was born in a junkyard, and that's not entirely uh, false. I mean, uh, some of my earliest memories are wandering around the metal piles in the junk room with my grandmother. You know, just learning what has value uh, that other people see as not having value. And so that sort of rubbed off on me and I became a journalist. And, you know, as a journalist, you're always looking for that story, that thing that other people are overlooking. And inevitably, I just sort of steered myself back into writing about junk altogether. Yeah, well, you certainly didn't miss this very fascinating story about Christmas lights. I was Mm. following your journey about Christmas lights. Who would have thought that this is something that people would recycle? I mean, can you tell our listeners what your what you found out about Christmas lights and what people in America do to ship off their Christmas lights to China? Sure, sure. So you know, when I was um, when I was first starting to write my first book, Junkyard Planet, I was trying to find that example of something that's recycled that makes people do what you just did. Be surprised! Oh wow, that gets recycled. And I just happened to be traveling with a uh, a Chinese uh, scrap metal buyer who would buy stuff in the United States and ship it back to uh, China via Hong Kong, actually. And uh, he showed me Christmas lights, and and I was astounded. I said, "Wait, you ship American used Christmas lights back to China for recycling?" He says, "Absolutely, I do." And he connected me with his buyer um, who was in uh, Guangdong. And so I went and visited him. I was living in Shanghai at the time, and and he showed me what he did with them. And he had this very sophisticated sort of low-tech means of recycling them. And, of course, the beauty of it was is that the copper, the metal inside those old Christmas tree lights, was recycled into new Christmas lights. And the insulation was recycled into uh, rubber for slipper sole insulation. So it was just this wonderful example of how our global economy works. And, of course, those Christmas tree lights uh, were shipped directly back to the United States. So round and round and round it goes. Uh, a beautiful example of the circular economy. I think you recently did a talk uh, on YouTube, and I really recommend our listeners um, go find it. You showed a one and a half minute clip of people sort of um, extracting the, the the copper, and it was very yeah. it, it looked very sort of gold mine like. You know, you're sort of using gravity to to right. get the metal. 
Right, right. Well, exactly. I mean, and I think gold mining is a really great uh, uh, metaphor for it. Um, one, because that is what, what, you know, the people in this business do. They look for, you know, that treasure and other people's trash. But but the way they do it is actually really interesting. And it's basically based upon how you pan for gold. You know, you chop up these Christmas tree lights using a shredder into tiny, tiny fingernail sized pieces. And then you basically wash water over them on these tables. And, to cool and it the down light because weight. it gets so hot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to use all this water, otherwise you're going to have a fire, but uh, the light stuff, as you wash the water over it, the insulation and the glass goes in one direction, and the heavy stuff, the metal, which is the real value, the, the brass and the copper, stays in another another part of the uh, operation. It's it's just incredibly clever and, 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 you know, and very sustainable on top of it. Yeah. Um, in 2018, China implemented a, a waste import ban, meaning that it would stop uh, the import of solid wastes, including plastics, uh, paper products, textiles um, from foreign countries. How did that disrupt this global recycling industry, the circular economy that you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a great question. It, it completely disrupted it. I mean, so much of the world's uh, recycling industry had become dependent upon Chinese manufacturers saying, we want all of your stuff so we can make new stuff from it and send it back to you. And and China, for a lot of reasons, said, wait, 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 you know, it's time for us to slow this down. We don't want this low-tech manufacturing anymore. We consider this trade a little bit embarrassing. And so it left all these recyclers around the world looking for somewhere to go with their stuff. They found other markets, you know, some in Southeast Asia, follow the manufacturing. Chinese factories have been moving out of China for a long time. We know that. And so the recycling followed them. And the interesting thing is, is that in recent months, China has actually started quietly reopening its doors. Because, you know, for, for people who aren't in the trade, they say, oh, well, this is junk. This is recycling. But, but from China, it's raw materials. You know, it's stuff to make stuff from. And they've realized, wait a second, we can't make our factories operate without access to this great global market of junk. Otherwise, they'll have to go to other markets to source the right. raw materials. Exactly. Um, let's talk a little bit about your latest book, Secondhand sure. Travels in the New Global Garage Sale, which was published uh, last year. What is it about? Well, you know, it's about the stuff you find in your local charity shop, your local thrift shop. Not so much the stuff you put into your recycling bin, but the things you may drop off, your clothing, your old computer, your old furniture. You know, after my mother passed away, like, you know, so many children uh, who have older parents, I had to figure out what to do with her things. And so as I was doing that, I realized, hey, I'm the junk journalist. I should actually follow this stuff to where it goes. And so so that's what I did. So in, in some ways, it's a travel travelogue like the first book, but also it's an exploration of why we want stuff, what it is that makes us consume this stuff. And ultimately, it, it's it's a story about consumerism and the limits of it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the, these thrift stores. You know, when I was um, at university in the UK, um, that was when I had my first encounter in, in thrift stores, and I sure. loved it. I couldn't believe the bargains that I found, um, you know, and, and also the idea of giving something a second life as well. Right. Um, although when I told my Chinese mother about the stuff that I'd brought and well I didn't tell I'd showed her um, I think my mum was sort of slightly unsure um, you've lived in China you've worked in China um, yeah. what do the Chinese sort of make of this concept this concept of thrift stores 
Right. Well, that's a that's a fascinating question. And of course, as you know, I mean, the idea of wearing someone else's clothes, especially someone who has passed away, there's a great taboo associated with that in Chinese culture. And so there's quite a, a hurdle to get over. You know, I talked to a lot of Chinese traders involved in this trade for this book. And, you know, and they, what they were telling me is, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was very easy for them to buy clothes in the United States or in the UK or Australia, use clothes, bring them back to China. And people were thrilled to get them they're cheap but as china became more affluent you know people started backing away and saying hey wait a second i can afford new and so those clothes those things had to go elsewhere but the interesting thing is and part of it is covid and part of it is just where china's economy is you're starting to see a renewed interest in second hand within china and they're not importing but let's face it china's the biggest purchaser of everything in the world the biggest manufacturing purchaser of clothes and computers and phones and China being China, if there's a there's such there's a, domest a, market, a domestic demand for it, yeah, yeah, and so it's coming back. That's great. That well, that's great. I still have to persuade my mom, but yes, I think it comes with you know. Oh, I you know, I can buy my own clothes. Why do I need to wear secondhand clothes? Although, right. is it a gener generational thing? Because thinking back to the, the the years of my grandma, everybody shared clothes. You know, they they wore. Right. <laughs> so perhaps it is uh, like you pointed out an affluency thing. I think so. I think it is generational. I think you've you had that generation that suddenly had money in the 90s say, uh-uh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to buy my own stuff. But it's funny, the mindsets are changing in Asia, as well as in other parts of the world where you have this younger generation, the, what are they, the millennials and the Generation Z saying, hey, I, I not only, you know, this is not only good financially, but it's a sustainable lifestyle. And we know people are more and more interested in those sustainable lifestyles. So we're seeing a real uptick. Absolutely. Um, speaking of sustainability, you know, you mentioned also, you know, 2020 has been a bit of an unprecedented year. How has that disrupted this notion of sustainability? I feel like we're sort of using single, single use plastic all over again and, and single, uh, single yeah. use masks again. Are, are you seeing more of a disruption in, in this mindset of recycling stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that this has been actually boom times for the plastics industry, which has been really beat down prior to COVID. People have been trying to separate themselves. But, you know, the plastics industry has quietly tried to promote themselves as safe during COVID. And that's true. I mean, medical equipment and that kind of thing. So you do see a resurgence. Um, you see more stuff that's unrecyclable flowing into the uh, waste stream, like the face masks, like the PPE. That's so important. Um, people are using more takeout boxes because yes. we're not going out to eat. So it's, it, it, is, it is undermining some of the progress, I guess you could say, that was made over the last few years. Yeah. What tips do you have for some of our listeners who are looking to consume less and to live a more sort of sustainable lifestyle? Right. Well, I, what I do when I buy things, um, I have a five-year-old son. And, you know, when we buy toys or we buy clothes for him, I'm always thinking about, okay, who can I hand this down to or who can I sell this to? Or if I give this to a charity thrift shop, can they look at it and say, great, we can sell this and use it for you know the money to do whatever good we do at this charity. And so it's always looking for that more durable product, that thing that won't fall up, that, that blouse that won't fall apart after three or four washes. You know, it may cost a little bit more, but long term, it may be good for your other members of your family and, and the environment. So I'm always saying, look for that more durable product. Don't necessarily go for the cheap. One. Absolutely. Um, and finally, I know you'll be doing a talk for our listeners. You'll be able to see um, Adam in action uh, on the 9th of November. He'll be doing a talk from uh, one o'clock to two o'clock Hong Kong time online. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your talk and what will you well, sort of talk about? 
Well, I'm very excited. So I'm going to be uh, in dialogue with Kevin Chung, who's a, a wonderful um, Hong Kong-based uh, artist and product designer. And he's very interested. His whole thing is using secondhand products and upcycling. And so we're going to talk about that. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about my travels. But I, I told Kevin, I just talked to him a couple days ago, I have questions for you. I want the audience to hear about how you think about this stuff, too. And so I'm really excited about it because it's the writer and the artist. It's, you know, an American and someone from Hong Hong Kong, which I think is very important during this festival. Let's get Hong Kong voices going as well. And, and I think it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. For our listeners, the talk is called Rethinking Our Relationship with Things. And it's on the 9th of November from 1 to 2 o'clock. You still have time to get tickets. They're selling out really fast. And for more, you can go to festival.org.hk. Meanwhile, Adam, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Can you remind our listeners, have you got a website? Are you on social media? And how can people know more about you? and your latest work. Sure. Well, you can always Google me and you'll find my bio on my website, uh, which is Shanghai Scrap, dating back from my time living in Shanghai. And I'm most active on Twitter and my Twitter handle is just at Adam Minter. Yeah. So look me up and love to be in dialogue. Excellent. Oh, Adam, I forgot to ask you, are you, do you have any upcoming projects at the moment that you're working on? Well, COVID, I, I do have a third book in works. It's been slowed down a little bit by COVID. So we'll, we'll just have to, before I get around to announcing that, we're going to have to let the pandemic settle down so I can start traveling and I can tell people more about it. All right. That's a lovely cliffhanger uh, to, to leave us on. Thank you so much, Adam, for your time. And I look forward to perhaps meeting you in person when you're in town next time for, for your travels. I love Hong Kong. You bet. Thank you so much.